This is Chapter 9 in a series of media resources accompanying the Starting Point Conversation Guide. Step-by-step is a message delivered at North Point Community Church by Andy Stanley. In this message, Andy explains how to experience intimacy with God through His Holy Spirit. Hey, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today, you're not a religious person, maybe not a Christian, maybe a different faith, or used to be in church and you're kind of sneaking back in slowly, not sure about the whole thing. I'm especially glad you're here today because um, we're going to address sort of through the back door uh, an issue that might be an issue for you, maybe not. But I've had some friends who were not Christians and who once they became Christians confessed that one of the reasons they kind of stiff arm Christianity is because they knew some Christians that were like incredible people. And, and they said, you know what, I just didn't feel like I could ever be that good. I didn't feel like I could ever be that consistent. I never felt like I could be that, you know, perfect, you know, from their perspective. And so I just kind of wasn't so sure about embracing Christianity because I knew some Christians and they were like incredible people. And I just wasn't that good. And so today we're going to kind of give you their secret and you're going to discover they're not as good as you thought they were. Because when you become a Christian, you get some help. And it's hard to, as an, uh, on the outside looking at Christianity, at factoring in your help because you haven't had the help yet. So that's what we're going to talk about as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, let me kind of give you a confession. Then we're going to look at some verses. In fact, if you're going to follow along, most of our verses come today out of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is in the New Testament. A little bit tricky to find, so you might want to go ahead and turn there if you brought your Bible. Galatians 5. We're going to look at some other verses as well. But most of this comes out of Galatians 5. And, and here's my confession. Um, I grew up in church. My, my dad's a pastor, so I like really grew up in church like we were there all the time and so um through the years as a kid and as a teenager and a young adult i heard a lot about i heard the holy spirit referenced a lot and back in the old days it was the holy ghost and then uh, which is really kind of would freak you out and then the new american standard version of the bible came along and it was the holy spirit and the niv and all the modern translations says holy spirit not holy ghost king james was holy ghost and so here was my whole take on the holy spirit thing okay There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I could go with the Father because I had a Father, and that made sense. God's like a Father. Um, The Son I could go with because I was a Son, and I understood Father, Son. Holy Spirit didn't make any sense to me. It didn't seem relevant. In fact, the people who talked about it a lot honestly scared me, and they used a funny accent when they said Spirit, Holy Ghost, and Spirit. And and I'd heard about those churches. It was like, I don't think so. So I just figured, God, you have to cut me some slack, because two out of three, I'm so with. Holy Spirit, I don't understand. I'm not even sure it's important. So I'll just go with Father and Son, okay? So that was kind of my take on it. And Possibly you've been a Christian a long time and that's kind of your deal as well. You believe there's a Holy Spirit because it's in the Bible, but you couldn't give me a paragraph's worth of information about it. And the people that talk about it the most, maybe you were like me, they kind of scare you a little bit. So you just sort of stayed away from those churches that talk too much about it. Well, um, that's understandable. Today, hopefully we're going to clear up some of that confusion. And at the end today, I want to talk about how practical and the practical side of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully this will be really helpful and clear up some confusion. And if you're not a Christian, hopefully this, this will motivate you to come across the line because you get some extra help. Now, let me read you a couple of verses that are not in Galatians to kind of set us up. And then we're going to look at a few verses in, in the book of Galatians. Here's what Jesus said about the coming or the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, this is kind of odd, the Holy Spirit would sort of drop down every once in a while and do some interesting things in the earth. But the Holy Spirit was not a daily part of anybody's life. And Jesus predicted predicted that eventually the Holy Spirit would come and be a daily part of certain people's lives. And this is kind of an interesting prediction. So listen to what Jesus said. This is from John chapter 16, verse 7. Here's what he said. He's talking to his closest 
followers, his disciples. He said this, but I tell you the truth. It is good for you. It is for your good that I am going away. Now, this is interesting. He says to the people closest to him, I'm going to go away and it's really good that I'm leaving to which they thought. No, it's bad that you're leaving. We remember how it was before you came. What do you mean you're leaving? You're like the Messiah. We believe you're the son of God. You, you can't possibly be leaving. And Jesus says it is for your good that I'm leaving. Listen to this. It is for your good that I'm going away unless I go away. The counselor and the literal Greek word is really lawyer, attorney, advocate, legal advisor. The counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send. What's the next word? What is it? Yeah, him, not it. I will send him to you. Now, they had no idea what he's talking about. I'm sure they, they, he said, look, I know you like having me with you. I'm going to leave and I'm going to send somebody that's going to be in you. And you're going to be so glad I'm gone once he shows up to be in you, this counselor. Now, in chapter 14 of John, Jesus gives us a real, says real specifically what he's talking about when he says counselor. This is John 14, 26. Then we're going to move on. But the counselor, what are you talking about? The Holy Spirit. There it is. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Let's leave that up there for just a second. Look at that. The counselor, who's that? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, um, will teach you all things. So Jesus predicted that once he left, the Holy Spirit was going to come. Now, the interesting thing about this verse and many others is that Jesus was very comfortable talking about these three different entities. He was comfortable talking about the Father, He was comfortable referring to himself as the son. And he was comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, not as an it, but as a him. Now, now in in Christian theology, we call that the what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We call the what? The Trinity. Good. And the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's just a word that we use to describe these three things. And often as a pastor through the years, people will come up and say, I'm not so sure about the Trinity. Can you explain the Trinity? And I say, no, I can't explain it. Here's the deal. Aren't you glad? You know, here's the deal. Here's how here's how I understand it. Jesus was very comfortable talking about the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. But he never tried to explain the relationship. So neither will I. And and you've been if you've been around for a while, you know me. I'm real simple. If it's cool with Jesus, it's cool with me. If it's fine with Jesus, it's fine with me. If he didn't try to explain it, I'm not going to be so silly as to try to explain. That's kind of fun to talk about. But here's the point. Here's what you need to know. Jesus was very comfortable over and over in the Gospels talking about God, the father. When you pray, pray our father who art in heaven. He talked about himself being the son. And then he said, and one is going to come after I'm gone. The Holy Spirit. So we know there are these three persons, how they relate and, you know, how they all. Jesus didn't explain it. I'm not going to try to explain it. But as a Christian in Christian experience, it becomes very evident. There are these three persons of the what we call the Trinity. Now, eventually what Jesus said came true. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, went to be with the father. And a few weeks later, his closest followers met together in what's called the upper room and they were praying. And suddenly the Holy Spirit showed up and indwelt each of them. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, there were some manifestations and they were filled with boldness. And they went out and they began to talk about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And whenever people put their faith in Jesus, some of these closest followers of Jesus would lay hands on them and 
they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this went on and on and on and on. Till finally, after a couple of generations, it was just assumed and it was just experienced by people who put their faith in Jesus. That when you became a Christian, you were filled with, that is, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt each person who put their faith in Christ. And things they had no interest in, they began to gain interest in those things. And so what happens is when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit moved in and God through the Holy Spirit begins to birth change in the heart and the life of a believer if we will cooperate with him. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. And there's all kinds of stories. In fact, I imagine today hundreds of you could stand up and say, when I became a Christian, here's something I never had interested in and interest in. And suddenly I just couldn't get enough of it. Here's something that I was almost addicted to. And as time went by, I just sort of lost interest in that. I lost interest in that group. I lost interest in this thing. And so, again, that's manifestation of the Holy Spirit. One of my um, one of the most interesting stories I heard, I had a good friend who um, became a Christian right after he got out of college. And at that time, he was in his early 20s. He had a girlfriend and they didn't exactly live together in one place, but they basically spent most of their time together either at his house or her apartment. They just spent the night just sort of however, you know, the night or the weekend went. And he went off on a retreat with a group of Christians. And during that retreat, he understood for the first time that Jesus died for his sins and he prayed and put his faith in Christ. And he said at the time, he said nothing really happened. He said, I I understood it for the first time. I believed it for the first time. I, I prayed a prayer and some people prayed with me. He said, I became a Christian. He said, I was excited, but you know, nothing happened. He said, I came home. My girlfriend was out of town and I told two or three friends of mine, I become a Christian. I went on this retreat and, you know, I, he said, I started reading my Bible. I just felt this hunger to start reading the Bible and catch up. He said, a couple days later, my girlfriend came back to town. He said, and I decided I'm not sure I'm going to tell her yet. And so um, they went out and had dinner and then they ended up back at her place. He said, and the strangest thing happened. He said, I walked into her bedroom for our typical, the way our relationship was going. He said, and suddenly I just burst out crying. He said, I just started crying. He said, I don't know. I had no idea. I just started crying. He said, I sat down on the edge of her bed and I was sobbing. She's like, what is wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? He said, and I heard myself saying, I've become a Christian and this just isn't right. I've become a Christian and this just isn't right. And he said, she looked at me like, what? He said, and you know, that was just the beginning of the end of the relationship. He said, all of a sudden I realized something was different on the inside of me. Now, now that didn't mean all this temptation went away and he lived the perfect life from there on out. The point was that was a manifestation. He didn't know it. he would just say God did it or Jesus did it. That's fine. You know, you don't, we don't have to figure out who shot John, you know, where it all comes from. But as you read the New Testament and as you evaluate your own Christian experience, here's what happens. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of God took up residence in you and he begins to make change and he begins, he picks up the megaphone of your conscience and he begins saying some things and whispering some things you never heard before. And there's always evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit has moved in to a life. And, and, and there's a lot more stories I could tell. And many of you would tell your own. As soon as I became a Christian or a month later or three months later, I realized, gee, you know, another friend of mine said, I eventually somebody came up to me and they said, you know what? You don't you don't cuss anymore. He said, you know, I never even thought about it after I became a Christian. It just that just kind of eventually just went away. What was that? I said, it wasn't your effort, was it? He said, no, I didn't even think about it. He said, I said, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes to work in subtle ways. Now, 
What I want to talk about in our time together is I want to talk about how we can cooperate and work with the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you some verses that will kind of give you evidence of what the Holy Spirit does in you. Because, again, you could spend your whole Christian life and never talk to or talk about the Holy Spirit. He works behind the scenes. He's sort of in the backdrop. He's sort of like the operating system of Christianity. And, again, we're not supposed to pray to him. Uh, we're not necessarily supposed to reference him specifically because Jesus said when you pray, you pray to the Father through the Son. But here's something that's going on in all of you who have put your faith in Christ. And the more we understand it, the more aware of it we are, and the easier it is to go with, work with, or as we're going to see, walk or keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. So let me read you a few verses from Galatians, because I think these verses, better than any other in the Bible, explain the relationship of the believer to the Holy Spirit when it comes to -to day-to-day activity and day-to-day kind of life. So let me read you a few verses and we'll talk about them. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 16. Here's what Paul says to some Christians who were trying to figure this whole thing out. Galatians 5, 16. He says, but I say, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. I usually use the NIV and they're similar, but I chose New American Standard because of one word that I think will help you understand it better. He says, but I say, walk, or maybe in your translation it says live. It's a little Greek word can be translated either way. But I say walk or go with or live or live in tune with the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And Paul gives us this little this little picture of when it comes to your interaction with the Holy Spirit, the best word to describe your interaction with the Holy Spirit is to walk by, walk with, go with the flow, move with, be sensitive and respond to the Holy Spirit. And he says, and if you do, here's the great thing. If you do, if you learn to walk in the spirit and it's something you learn to do, it's not something that happens overnight. If you learn to walk in the spirit, he says, at the end of the day, you will not or you will stop or you will no longer carry out the desires of the flesh or the the desires of the um, sin nature. It might say in your translation to which you might say, well, what are those to which I would say to you? I bet you can guess. I bet you don't even need a verse for this. I bet you don't need a list for this. We all know that there is inside of us something that gravitates to evil, gravitates to selfishness, gravitates to do the wrong thing. And Paul says, if you'd like to break the power practically of sin in your life, you need to learn to walk in the spirit. And then he gives us a list of the deeds of the flesh as if we needed a list. But let me read the list to you real quick. This is Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21. Here's what he says. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. That means I don't even need to give you a list. You already know what I'm going to say. But here they are, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. Then he lists every possible thing you can think of that would disrupt the relationship. He lists them all. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions and factions. That's like saying the same thing eight times, isn't it? He says, all the things that disrupt your marriage, all the things that disrupt you at work, all the personality issues and relationship conflicts, all the things that happen because of selfishness between two people or a group of people. He said, all those things are manifestations of what he calls the flesh or this nature in us that gravitates toward evil. Verse 21, envying, drunkenness, carousing and things like these. In other words, you fill in the blank. And here's what he says. He says, look. If you will walk in the spirit, and I'm going to do my best to explain what that means in just a minute. If you will learn, and it's a process, if you will learn to walk in the spirit, if you will learn to move or live with the spirit, he says at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you will be removed from 
enmity, jealousy, greed, you know, immorality, impurity, all the things that tend to dig, dig a bigger, 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 deeper, deeper, deeper hole in your life that you have to move out of. The things that wreak havoc in your marriage, at business, the things that put you in debt, the things that you look back on your life and go, how in the world did I ever get involved in that? Why in the world did I ever say yes to that? Those kinds of things, he said, all come from or emanate from this self-destructive thing that's in all of us that the Bible refers to as the flesh. And he says, if you will learn to walk in the spirit, then you will not consistently, you will no longer as a lifestyle carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, sign me up for that, okay? Because I'm, I'm old enough and have enough history like you do to know where those other things tend to lead. And he says, I, I want you to learn to walk in the spirit now. I want to do my best to explain to you what I think this means. And one of the best ways to explain what it means to walk in the spirit is to explain or to point to the, the opposite of that or what is contrasted with that. If over here we have live by or walk in the spirit, the opposite of live by and walk in the spirit, believe it or not, is to live life under the law. And I want to explain for about three minutes what that means. And then in contrasting these two things, hopefully make it clear what the Bible means when it says learn to walk in or live in the spirit. Living under the law is something you're very familiar with. You've done it all your life. It's just a Bible phrase to describe this phenomenon. Living according to the law means that when you're born and as you grow and as you live, you realize internally, intrinsically, naturally that there is a certain law that God has put in all of us. You may not recognize it as coming from God, but you kind of know in your heart that stealing's wrong. In fact, even though you steal, you know it's wrong for people to steal from you, okay? Um, you, you just know, you shouldn't have taken that from me. Well, you took one, that's different, but you took one from me, and you just know somewhere out there stealing is wrong, murder's wrong, um, uh, you know, taking someone, you know, wrecking a relationship, you know, it's wrong. You just kind of know there's some right and there's some wrong. And so when we come into life and we try to have a job and try to have a marriage and try to have kids and try to get along, we just know there's certain things you do and certain things you don't do. Those are just kind of laws that are written in our hearts. And so we get up every day and try to be a good person, try to be a responsible citizen, try to be a good husband, try to be a good wife, because there's certain things you do, certain things you say, certain things you shouldn't say, certain things you should never do. We just, we just kind of know. Then as you get older, you know, that, that list gets longer and longer and longer as you become more and more responsible. Then you become a Christian and then you get the Bible. It's like the biggest book you own. It's like full of laws. And now not only are you not supposed to lust. I mean, not only are you not supposed to commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even lust. So you write that up. They're not even going to lust. Well, that's harder than not commit adultery. And, and Jesus, the Bible says, and you know, instinctively thou shalt not murder. And Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's like murder. So you write that in. Okay, I'm not even going to hate anymore. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to hate. Well, this is getting harder. And, and all of a sudden you realize as a Christian, gosh, there's, there's more laws and there's more rules. I'm not going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. You don't even know what that means, but that sounds, and, and I'm supposed to submit to my husband. You know, and there's, all, there's more rules and more laws. And so you, you get up every day and say, but, you know, by golly, you know. Can I say that? By golly, I'm going to be a good Christian. Okay? And so I'm going to, God, I'm signing up. I am going to, I'm not going to lust and I'm not going to hate and I'm not going to murder and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, and thou shalt not. And I want, and I'm, here's all the things I'm going to do because I want to be a good Christian. And then you go out and you get a 70 or a 69 or 50. Some days you get a 20. Some days you get an 80. That's because you weren't around anybody the whole day. <laughs> I'm going to spend my whole day alone. And reduce the possibility of sinning dramatically, you know. 
And so you realize, you know, I, you know, I don't know how the thing goes. And I realize this isn't about going to heaven. This is about being a good Christian. I'm not a very good law keeper. Now, the problem with the whole living under the law, and we all come into the world doing this. The problem with that approach is several things. Number one, the law focuses you on the line between good and evil. It just focuses you there. When you know I'm going to keep the law and it says thou shalt not lie, then you go, okay, okay, exactly what is lie exactly? Because there is in me and there is in you when I'm living under the law, I want to know exactly where the line is between good and bad. And I'm probably going to live right on the line. You know, what is the speed limit? Not what is safe. What's the limit? Okay. That law thinking focuses you right on the edge and tends to draw us to the edge where basically here's the question we ask without asking it. How bad can I be without sinning? How, how close to sin can I get without having to say, Jesus, forgive me for this? Okay, that, that's what living under the law does. It draws you to the edge. The other thing living under the law does is it, it causes you to start looking for loopholes. We all do this loopholes. You know, you said clean out the dishwasher, but you didn't say put all the dishes in the cabinet. So I just put them on the counter because you because you didn't. Okay, see, we're always looking for a loophole. When Jesus showed up, this is amazing. When Jesus showed up, the men who knew the law the best had written books of loopholes. They'd written books full of loopholes because here's what the law was. But, you know, I know, but that's too hard. So, you know, it's, you know, it's like this in Ephesians. It's, it says, you know, don't get drunk with wine. It's like saying, okay, now it says don't get drunk with wine. It doesn't say anything about beer. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, didn't get drunk with beer because it says wine. It doesn't say, yeah, it's that kind of thing. And we're constantly always looking for, you know, we're, we tend, tend to always look for a loophole. Living under the law or approaching the Christian life as someone who's going to, by golly, I'm going to keep the law and be a good person. You will tend to gravitate to the edge and you will be constantly looking for loopholes. And the reason you want a loophole is because you know you're not good enough to keep God's law consistently. You're not. And either you have to dumb it down so you feel good about yourself or you feel guilty all the time and you just abandon Christianity. And that happens to people all the time. It's why some of you left the church when you were 16 because you said, I can't be that good. And to be honest, I don't even want to be that good because look what I'm missing out on. Because the law condemns. The law says, I bet you can't jump this high. I knew you couldn't jump this high. I bet you can't jump this high. I knew you couldn't jump this high. I bet you can't jump this high. You're no good. You can't jump this high. The law sets a standard and then condemns, sets a standard and condemns, sets a standard and condemns. And here's some great news. That is not the Christian life. Because the Christian life has joy and there ain't no joy living under the law. Now, see, this this ought to be good news for some of you. And it may be new news. Okay, and if you're not a Christian, it's like, whoo, I I just thought that was the whole Christian life. I I understand. Now, I want to show you a verse. Listen up. I want to show you a verse. That I'm not sure I can explain to you adequately. But this, this is one of those verses that I wish you would all just kind of hang on to and maybe look at, you know, every day for two or three weeks or a couple of weeks or every day. Just if you pull out your Bibles and just, okay, and just say, God, Andy didn't explain it very well. But I want to know what this means. Because in this one verse is the contrast that sets you up and sets me up to understand what it means to walk according to the Spirit. Because walking according to the Spirit is very different than living under the law. The law always condemns. But if you're in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are not a condemned person. There is another option to life. So let me read you this verse. This is also in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 verse 18. Listen to this verse. This This is awesome. 
But if you are led by the spirit, that is, if you learn to walk in the spirit or, you know, live in the spirit, like we've talked about, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under what law. Look at that verse. If you learn as a Christian, he's talking to believers. If you learn to walk in the spirit, if you learn to be led by the spirit, if you learn this new way of life, this new approach to life, you are no longer a person who is forced to live according to and under the law. These are two very different approaches to life. And if you don't learn to walk in the spirit, all you have is the law of God and go for it and good luck and you'll do better on some days than others. But at the end of the day, you're always going to feel like you fall short. You're always going to feel a little bit condemned. And God says, oh, oh, I didn't send my son into the world with 10 more commandments tucked under his arm. You got the first 10. Jesus brought the second 10. I I didn't send my son into the world. So you you realize the bar is even higher than before. And you have no hope of getting that high. I, I sent my son into the world for you to have life. And so I brought and sent with my son a completely different system. This is why Jesus said, listen, you think it's good having me with you? (laughs) Wait till the spirit lives in you. You think it's good having me where you can touch and feel and sit by the campfire and joke and, you know, wrestle around and, you know, have me with you. I mean, fish with me. I know it's nice having me with you. Let me tell you what. When I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to live in you and it's going to be better. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean that if you're walking in the spirit, you're no longer under the law or you're no longer approaching life with a law system? I I wrote four little contrasts down. I just want to read you these because I really want to make this as clear as possible, because these are two very different orientations to life. Very two, very different approaches to the Christian life. Let me just read these four to you. Maybe this will help. The law is about being committed to something. I'm committing to keeping these laws and obeying these laws. And I'm going to do what Jesus said. And I'm going to do what Jesus would do. I'm committed. Walking according to the spirit is about being surrendered to someone. There's a big difference between commitment to something and surrender to someone. See that big difference between being committed to something and being surrendered to someone. What the Christian life is about is not commitment to something. It's about surrender to. To someone commitment says, here's what I'm going to do. Surrender says, just show me where to go. Commitment says, I'm going to follow the law. Surrender says, I'll just follow you and your instructions. Listen to the second one. The law is about following a list. Walking according to the spirit is about following a person. You see, There's nothing intimate and there's nothing personal about a list of law. There's something very intimate. There's something very personal about following your heavenly father, following your savior, following the promptings or the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that takes Christianity out of the realm of religion is that it's not about religion. Religion's about I'm going to do some things to please God. Christianity is about a relationship. And so for in order for it to maintain a relation, stay relational, we have to move away from the law to this relational side of things where we learn to walk according to the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And the third one, the law is about staying between the guardrails. It's like driving between. Okay, I'm not going to go too far to the left, not going to go too far to the right, not going to go too far to the left. I'm just constantly looking at the guardrails, stay between the guardrails, stay between the guardrails. Walking according to the spirit is like keeping your eye on the car in front of you. It's different. 
The guardrails are like the law. Keeping my eye on the car in front of me, I'm following someone. The last one. The law is like me giving you direction somewhere. Walking according to the Spirit is like having you follow me somewhere. Big difference. Hey, here's a map to my house as opposed to I'm going to get my car. I want you to follow me. See, if I give you a map, you focus on the map. If I say follow me, you your focus is me. So years ago, I came up with a little definition that helps me. This is not in the Bible. This is just my summary to help me understand years ago. And I really wrestled with this saying, God, I'm a terrible law keeper. And here's a little definition I came up with that helps me. That walking according to the Holy Spirit is simply sensitivity and submission to the initial promptings of God's Spirit. That it's sensitivity and submission to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's sensitivity to, it's learning to hear that still small voice. And then it's acting on, it's, you know, it's responding to, it's following those initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's really what it means to walk in the Spirit. Now, just to clear this up, this doesn't mean that you get up in the morning and you sit on the edge of the bed and you go, what's wrong, honey? Nothing. I'm just waiting to get my first instructions for the day. God didn't tell me what to wear yet, so I'm just, I can't move, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm talking about, and many of you have experienced this. You, you just chalked it up to way to go God or an overly active conscious, you, conscience, you, you know what's going on. But this is the Holy Spirit. It's simply going through your day and learning to listen and learning to pay attention to those initial promptings of God's spirit. It's going through your day and it's learning to listen, learn, listen, listen, listen. It's learning to pay attention. And then it's learning to act immediately on those initial promptings. When you just know this isn't just, you know, my fear talking to me. This isn't my past talking to me. This isn't my grandfather's wise old saying talking to me. This is, and again, you learn it's not overnight. It's learning to pay attention and then to respond to the initial promptings of God's um, spirit. Uh, years ago, um, we were living in a, moving into a rental house, and I had a little music studio. I think I've told you this story before. Uh, and I had a music studio that I kind of carted around wherever we moved, and I'd set it up and did music. And it took a lot of time. Sandra was pregnant with our second child. And I was down there in the basement of this little rental house, unpacking all my studio stuff. And I wasn't even thinking about this. I was just kind of doing my thing, looking forward to getting it set up. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it wasn't a voice. At times, I wish God would speak audibly. I'm I'm not sure I like that kind of accountability, but at least it'd be clear. Um, And all of a sudden, I just felt, sensed, heard, hey, this isn't the season for that. Now, those weren't the words. That's sort of my summary. I just, there was suddenly this, I was unpacking this stuff and setting it up. And there was just this, this hesitation is the best word I can come up. Just a kind of a hesitation and a thought of, this just isn't the time for that. I just remember stopping and looking at thousands of dollars worth of stuff, you know, sitting there in all these boxes and wires. And, and I just stopped because I've learned the hard way. Oh, have I learned the hard way? Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Because anytime you are prompted by the Holy Spirit, there are 12 reasons to ignore him. I promise you, you can reason around him. You can work around him. You can ignore him. He doesn't shout. But it was just that hesitation. And I've learned the hard way. Oh, I've learned the hard way. Pay attention. I just stopped. And, you know, in, in our marriage, Sandra had been very patient with me the time I'd spent in the studio, the time I'd spent working on music, very patient. But I knew at times she was having to really, really, really force a smile and say, oh, yeah, that's fine. Go on down there in the basement, you know, for hours and hours and hours, you know, ignore our newly born. You know, she she was great. But I knew there had been some tension. But, she, you know, we'd never talked about me selling everything. All of a sudden, just hesitation. Boy, I just said, okay, I'm just going to wait. I didn't put it out. I just left everything in the box, just went about 
my days just thinking about that, saying, God, I don't know if that was you or my con. I just, I want to know. And it, as time went by, it became very evident. This isn't the season. So I packed it all up, sold it. One of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. You know what? I believe with all my heart. That was one of those elbow in the ribs from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a voice. It was just, it's just how God works. Sometimes it's a moral issue. You know, don't spend the night with your girlfriends, that kind of thing. At other times, it's just a, a season of life, a way of life, the way that God's leading you. And we have to learn as Christians not to ever get up every morning and say, I'm going to be good. You get up every morning and you say, I'm going to follow. You get up every morning and you say, I'm surrendering. You get up every morning and say, I want to pay attention. And then I want to walk with Live according to the Spirit. Paul goes, go on, goes on and he does something great for us. He gives us a snapshot of where walking in the Spirit will take you. He said, now if you walk according to the flesh and ignore the Spirit, you know, there's drunkenness and envying and strife and all this junk that you eventually, if you break, you know, you keep doing that stuff, you will end up in jail. All those things taken to the max, you will end up in jail someday. He says, now let me tell you about where walking with the Spirit will take you. Listen to this list. This is also in Galatians 5, verse 22. Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit, that is the outcome of walking in the Spirit, the outcome of responding to those initial promptings of God's Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the best one of all, and self-control. And then I love this next line. This is awesome. Look at this. Against such things, that is against love, joy, peace, patience, selfishness, I mean, um, self-control. Against these things, this is awesome, there is no law. This is an amazing insight. He's going, look, look, look. The deeds of the flesh over here, eventually, if you take those to an extreme, you're going to break somebody's law. You're going to break God's law. You're going to break human law. If you have enough envy and strife and jealousy, you'll end up in jail. You have enough drunkenness, you'll end up in jail. You have enough carousing, you'll end up in jail. You lack self-control enough, you're going to bust up a relationship. All these things have their limit. But the thing that God wants to create in you and the direction God wants to take take you, and this is amazing, there is no limit. You're never going to get in trouble by being too loving. I'm sorry, you've crossed the line. You have become, you know, back off, buddy. Okay, you can't be too kind. You can't be too gentle. You can't have too much self-control. This is amazing. The fruit or the outcome of the spirit-led life are characteristics in your life that can be taken to an extreme and everything's going to be fine. And even if you sit and look at that list and say, I'm not sure I want to be that kind of person, I guarantee you, you want to marry that kind of person, raise those kinds of kids, work for that kind of person, and have those kinds of people work for you. You know instinctively there's a value there. But the Christian life, please listen to this, the Christian life is not have more self-control, be patient, be kinder, be gentler, be, 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 stop, 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 do, 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 do. That's the law. God says, no, 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 no. I want you to be there, but not in the sense of guardrails, Not in the sense of here's a map. I want you to be there, but I want you to learn in time to allow me to lead you there. Because this is about a relationship, not a list of things to do. So Paul says the Christian life is characterized by walking in the Spirit. One last verse, and then I'm going to give you something to help you remember all this. Last verse, this is in Galatians as well. This is great. Galatians 5.25, he says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, in other words, since you became a Christian because the Holy Spirit moved inside of you, he said, let's be consistent. Let's live the way we were ultimately born. 
Let's keep in step with the Spirit. So I want to just give you two phrases to kind of, to kind of bring all this together. And it's simply this. Pay attention and keep in step. Pay attention and keep in step. Would you just say those with me? It's pay attention, keep in step. One more time. That's it. It's waking up tomorrow morning as if you're a believer and saying, today, God, help me to pay attention to the initial promptings of your Holy Spirit. That when I start down a road or I think it's a good idea or I think I shouldn't or I think I always and I always have it. You know, today, I just I just want you to help me. I just want to learn to pay attention. Again, this doesn't mean you'd stop and every five minutes you, you know, it's, it's not that. OK, help me in the course of my day to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And then then I, I want to keep in step. I want to keep in step. I want to keep in step. And when I realize halfway through the day, I'm like off on my own tangent. And I just want to pause and I want to get back in sync. I want to be a man or a woman whose life is in step with your spirit. Because I'm not a good law keeper and I'm glad you didn't call me to keep the law. I want to be a person who learns to pay attention and then keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to the best of my ability to explain to walk in the Spirit. And that's why the Spirit has moved inside of you to whisper and to prompt and to warn. And sometimes to warn through other people. And sometimes people will say something to you. Hadn't this happened? Someone, someone will say something to you and inside it's like somebody said, that's right. And it wasn't you because you didn't want to do it. It's like they're saying something and there's something inside of you going, the, the Bible word is bear witness. You don't have to use that at office tomorrow. There's something in you that just kind of bears witness. It's like something inside of you that's not you going, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's right, that's right, uh-huh. It's like, whoa, 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 I got two people talking to me. One's outside, one's inside, they're agreeing. I'm just telling you, it's the spirit of God who loves you, who's leading you. And want you not to live as a law person, but someone who is indwelt by and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty simple. It's pay attention to keep in step. Pay attention, keep in step. Pay attention, keep in step. And if this will become the habit and the practice of your life and you learn it, it's not overnight. Then you know what? Your life will change. Your life will change. You will slowly lose interest in some things, gain interest in others. Somebody's going to walk up to you in a month and say, you're different. I noticed that and I haven't seen this and where it happened to. And you'll say, I don't know. I've just, I've just changed. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me just tell you what. This is one of the secrets of the Christian life. And if you've dug a hole so deep, you're wondering how you're ever going to get out. And you're saying, God, help me. But God doesn't seem to be helping. And you just can't find the self-control. And you just can't find the discipline. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to consider seriously Placing your faith in Jesus Christ and surrendering to him. Because when you do, you get some help. You get a helper. The Holy Spirit of God will move into your life and begin to empower you to live the life that possibly you've always wanted to live. If you learn to pay attention and keep in step.